So um, I've been fighting with this word a little bit. I've had it a little while and, you know, it's... I want to share some things with you. I was going to share with you about... I was going to call it six vignettes or six um, little kind of scenarios. But interestingly, normally when I preach, Joyce encourages me and prays for me and come on, Roger, that's good. But she was saying to me today, she hadn't got anything, but she, um, she said that she had that thing from Samson when he had his hair cut and he lost his strength. And he went up to preach or went up to do as before, but he didn't realize the spirit had left him. And so I just want to change a little bit what I'm doing today. I want to take that as a prophetic direction. Thank you, Joyce. You did have something. It helped me. Just want to start by thinking of Samson. Samson was a, a funny character, wasn't he? He's, a, he's not the kind of character you and I would have chosen for our, for our operation. He had a lot of flaws, but he had a lot of strength because he was a Nazarite. He was dedicated to God from his birth. And one of his things was he had to grow his long hair. And he did mighty exploits, didn't he? Against the Philistines, killed many, many with a jawbone of an axe. It's not your conventional weapon of war, but, but the Spirit of God. So, but he had some flaws as well. And one of his flaws was the ladies. He liked the ladies and liked the wrong kind of ladies because they were from the wrong nation. Um, and ended up with Delilah. You know, why, 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 Delilah, you know that song, or you might do, you're not as old, not also as, old as me. But, um, and she nagged him, tricked him, until he told her the, um, the secret of his strength. You know, he, he gave her a few little tricks on the way, and she kept getting more and more, but she had her womanly ways, and she got the strength from him, so that eventually they cut his hair. And it said that, you know, as I've said, just said, he woke up because she said the Philistines are on you. And he woke up as before to go out and defeat them again, as he always did. But he didn't realize the spirit had left him. And I just think today, I know we've been hearing about it, but it's so important that we have the Holy Spirit upon us, inspiring us, energizing us. You know, I can get up and preach as I've done before. I've got my notes, which I've left on the chair to, to you know, stop me kind of slipping back to them. But that's, that's not where it's at, is it? It's not about doing what you've done before. It's not about going out in your own strength. Because we can all do all sorts. I know Mark has preached this about we can do nothing. And he says that all that we do is nothing if we do it without the Spirit. And that's true. And we're learning, aren't we? That it's not by might nor by power which we have might, we have power, that's the problem. But it's not very strong power, and it's not very great might. But his power on us is what we need, and as we yield our strength, our power, our flesh, our wisdom, our ability to his, he transforms. Um, he transforms and does wonders through us. And that's what we want to see more and more, isn't it? You know, I don't know about you, but I'm getting on now. I've had enough messing about, really. I, I can't afford to mess about for many more years. Otherwise, it'll all be over. I don't want to have accomplished the things that God has got for me to do. I need to start them now. Um, so I want to look at, um, 
I'm going to leap in halfway into what I was going to share. I want to share a little bit out of Luke 2, um, the characters that are there. And I'm a little bit late because this, um, this happened sort of after Christmas and before Easter. So it is still before Easter. So I can kind of talk about one or two of these things here. But I want to start looking at a man called Simeon. Um, and Simeon is a character we've not talked much about we've not thought much about perhaps he's quite famous in the sense that he wrote the Nunc Dimittis if he, as a choir boy used to sing this thing called the Nunc Dimittis um, it's part of the Anglican service possibly the Catholic, I'm not sure um, Lord now let us thy servant depart in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation but I want to just pick up some things about Simeon because I think it's quite helpful and it quite it sets up what I'm trying to um, not only say this morning, but how I'm trying to live my life. Could you behave yourself, Jed, please? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, yes. So it's, it's all about when Jesus was presented at the temple. You know, he, when he was born um, and after a certain age, they had to be presented at the temple. So his, his parents... Mary and Martha took him to the temple. Not Mary and Martha, Mary and Joseph. I was just saying, if you're as awake as I am, <laughs> you're a bit more awake than I am. So, um, and it tells you why they're in, in 2.22, sorry. And then moving on to 25, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came to the temple. Yeah? No. He came in the Spirit into the temple. Those two little words, three little words, make a big difference. He came in the Spirit in the temple. Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. And I was kind of wondering what I mean, because it's kind of, and it's interesting, I started to look at it, and consolation, that's the parakletos word, you know, about comfort, exhortation, but it's basically waiting for a person. Consolation of Israel sounds, ooh, what does that mean? But he's waiting for a person. He's waiting for the Messiah. That's what he's given his life for. I don't know how old he is. Who thinks he's an old man? We don't know that he's an old man. We know that the next character is an old person, and we think he's an old person because he said, well, I'm ready to die now, because I've seen. But he could have been 32, saying, couldn't he? Because he's given his life. Phil doesn't think so. But <laughs> if you read the commentaries, they don't know how old he was. We just think he is, because we think that's an old man's kind of prayer. But it's a man who's fulfilled the purpose that God has put in his life, to wait for the consolation of Israel. So if he's fulfilled it at 32, he might as well go and be with Jesus. Well, well, Jesus is there, but you know what I mean. He might as well end his life. But he'd given his life to looking for the consolation of Israel. And it says the Spirit of God was upon him. And if you look at the commentary, it's not just that the Spirit was on him, but there was, it was unusual because the Spirit dwelt upon him. That was unusual in the Old Testament. The Spirit dwelt upon him. He was a man of the Spirit. 
And it says he came led by the Spirit into the temple. He's waiting for the consolation. He came into the temple. What does he see? What does he see? What does he see? A baby. A baby. A plain old normal baby. Yeah? We see babies all the time coming to the temple. Sorry if that offends you. I'm talking about Jesus like that. But, yeah. but it, there was no difference with that baby than any other baby, was there? But to him, this was the Messiah. This was the Messiah. And how did he know? The Holy Spirit told him. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit brought him into the temple. He showed him that this baby was the Christ, the Messiah, the one he'd been waiting for. And this is what he said. He took him in his arms. He blessed him. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Hooray! Because we're Gentiles. Hooray! Hooray! A light for us. That's good, isn't it? And for the glory to your people Israel. Hooray! Glory to the people Israel. Everybody, isn't it? Israelites and Gentiles as well. And his father and mother marveled about what Simeon had said. So a plain, not plain, but just a normal, ordinary day coming into the temple, a couple with a baby, he sees something. He sees something. The Holy Spirit says, this is it. The Holy Spirit says, boom, that's the Messiah. And he acts on it and he, he, he speaks that out that we sing. And it says also there was a prophetess there, um, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel. Now she was old. They're not sure whether she was 84 or whether she'd been a widow for 84 years. Okay, either way, that's quite old, isn't it? Not many of us are that old. I don't think anyone, I'm not looking. But uh, <laughs> my mum's older than that and my dad, but, you know, not. not we, and, and it says, and she too, she was in the temple. And what does it say about her? She was advanced in years. Have, I've said that already. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. She's kind of an old Joyce, really, isn't she? I imagine Joyce, <laughs> Joyce, in 40 years, you could be this lady. You're very young at the moment, but, you know, you could be this lady. Yeah, you could be this lady, fasting and praying, never leaving, not the temple, but the presence of God. Because I'm taking the temple here to mean the presence of God. Yeah, not, not a building. And, and it could mean the church, but the church is only a snapshot of what we do, isn't it? It's only a percentage. This is really uh, the presence of God in, in our lives I'm talking about today. I'm wanting to, to focus this on. Because uh, the church... Coming to church is like the cherry on the cake, isn't it? If there's no cake, you've just got a cherry. And a cherry is not much good to you. So we need the cake in our lives of, our, of being in the presence of God. And we need the cherry when we come to church and we're in the presence together. Yeah? Are you happy with me saying that? I've said it anyway, so, you know, take it or leave it. You know. But anyway, uh, yes, so she, what did she do? She began to give thanks to God and to speak of him 
to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Again, a baby. But again, she saw that this is the Messiah. This is the one who's come to redeem Jerusalem. And it's just struck me. I'm not going to talk for long, by the way. So you better listen up quickly because I'm, I'm, I won't be long. Okay. But it just struck me. These guys, they are full of the Spirit. They're coming into the temple, the presence of God. And they're seeing more than your average person. They're seeing a baby, but they're seeing the Messiah. And these are the, this is the kind of life that God wants us to lead. That we spend time in the presence of God. Continually if we can. But, you know, we live in the presence of God in, in our lives. But that we see more and we see what God is doing. It says that he was, they were waiting for the uh, consolation of Israel. But there's things that we need to be waiting for as well. And we sung about it, didn't we? At the end, of Mark read about it. The wedding feast. We're waiting. And it's not just waiting, sitting on our bottom, saying, when is it going to come? This bus is a long time coming. But it, it talks in Peter about waiting and hastening the day by the way we live. We're, we're looking, we're attentive to the, to the Father, to the Spirit, saying, Lord, when are you coming? When are you sending your son Jesus? When, when will he appear? So we too can be waiting for the, for the deliverance of, of, of this world, of the, of the coming together of the, of the bride of Christ, of all those wonderful things that are promised. Um, the way we live can make a difference. We say we want to see Jesus in our lifetimes. Well, how are we living? Are we living such that we will see Jesus in our lifetime? I know it's more than just me or just you, but we can only affect me or you, can't we? So moving on in, in Luke 2, 12 years later, um, this same baby, who's not now a baby anymore, but a 12-year-old, um, Mary and Joseph, it said they went up to the up to Jerusalem every year to um, to the feast of the Passover. It's a feast of Passover that's coming up very soon, isn't it? Feast of Passover. They went up every year. Jesus went with them. This particular year, they went up as usual, as per custom. It's not wrong to have customs, is it? As long as they're godly customs, godly traditions. They did what you do at the festival. And they started to go home. They were in a big, big contingent of people. Um, you know, that thing about it takes a village to, to raise a child. Where they, That was the village going back home. But Jesus stayed behind in the temple. But his parents didn't know. So they got a day's journey on and they went to get Jesus for his tea. But Jesus wasn't anywhere to be found. So they went back to Jerusalem to look for Jesus. And it says, I mean, sometimes you think the Bible's a strange book, isn't it? Some of the things that go on, they spent three days looking for Jesus in Jerusalem. That's a long time to have lost your kids. I mean, I lost Nat once in Woolies for a few minutes, and that was bad enough, you know, because he was so little, I couldn't see him over the thing, you know. But three days, that's kind of gross negligence, isn't it? <laughs> You'd be, the social services would be around these days, wouldn't they? You know, saying, what's, what's going on? But they lost him. For three days. But eventually they went to the temple. And I'm looking at verse uh, 46. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them 
and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said, There, there, mother, never mind. Sorry, I didn't tell you where I was. I should have done, really. But, no. He said, Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know where I would be? Did you not know that I would be, that I must, I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying. He said, did you not know I must be in my father's house? Or um, the little footnote in my Bible says, or about my father's business. In my father's house, about my father's business. And that's our call. That's our call. To be in our father's house, to be about our father's business. That's what, that's what there's for is there for us, to be people who are in his, in our father's house, listening to him, and then going out and being about his business. Maybe in our own work, maybe at home, maybe down the shops, whatever. But it's his business. Because we first and foremost come to him and laid our lives down in sacrifice and said, Lord, I want to be about your business. So may I, in everything I do, be about your business today, tomorrow, the week after. Yeah? And it's interesting because I've thought around a little bit. You know, Mary and Joseph were looking for Jesus in the wrong place. They spent three days looking for Jesus in the wrong place. And many of us have spent many years looking for Jesus in the wrong place. Because the only place you find him is in the presence of God. Yeah, so, the only, so let us be people of the presence, looking for Jesus in the right place. In the presence of God. Yeah? And what do we do when we get into the presence of God? And we find Jesus. I just want to have a little look in John. I think it's 13. Uh, our friend, Mary. This is Mary and Martha Mary. You know, it's de rigueur to speak about Mary the last few weeks. Actually, Mark didn't speak about Mary last week. But two weeks before, he did it both weeks. And um, I don't want to repeat what he said. But Mary from the passage that Mark talked about, Jesus has already said that she's chose the best thing, that she was sitting at his feet, listening to what he had to say. That's the best thing, and it won't be taken from her. Rather than busying around like Martha and telling Jesus what to do, that really spoke to me, actually, about how we can so often, in our prayer, be telling Jesus and God what he has to do, rather than listening to him about what he wants to do, and then praying that. That's prayer. The other isn't. Can I say that? It's a bit radical. But often we pray, you spend so much time praying, but we're not really praying. We're telling God what he has to do. And we come up with great ideas about how we can do it and what he should do. And I've done it as much as anyone else. But the, when we come to prayer, 
Lord, what do you want to do? I want to be about your business. I want to be praying your will on earth as it is in heaven. I want to be praying, what do you want me to be doing? What do you want me to be saying? I prayed the other week about us having the creative word. We have the creative word of God inside us. When we speak out, things happen. I want to be about that kind of praying. Not saying, Lord, Lord, this, this, that, that, the other. That wouldn't be a good idea if you um, caused that to happen, Lord, and did that. And what about that? And it, that's, not, that's not it, is it? And I think we need to get rid of that if we can. And get into, Lord, what are you saying? What do you want to do? How can I assist that in my, in my prayers? How can I join my faith with what you're going to do? Because those things will happen. That will will be done. But the other good ideas are nothing. Waste of time, waste of breath, and boring. Yeah, very boring. I, I, was, uh, I was out praying, prayer walking on Thursday with uh, Mark Harbour from Vineyard Church. And he's, he's great because he's much more generous than I am. So this guy had asked us if he could have some food. And so Mark had gone to buy him some food. I mean, I, I, I worked on the streets. So I'm a bit more kind of, you know, what do you want it for? You know, But he, bless him, did. And so whilst he's in the shop buying something, because the guy said to him, oh, would you buy me a bottle of beer as well? And so he said, no, we're not going to buy you a bottle of beer. So Mark went and got some of his butt. I said to the guy, oh, we've just been around praying. And he said, that's boring. I thought, well, I said, well, how can talking to the creator of the universe and getting involved, I didn't say this bit, but getting involved with what he's doing, how can that be boring? But the other is boring. Speaking out our own ideas and our own thoughts, that is boring. And... You know, I've had enough of it, really. So, Lord, help me not do it. Amen. So, Mary. Oh, I'm sorry. I've told you John 13. I'm in the wrong chapter on this. 12. 12, sorry. Again, I was just testing you. So, this is six days before the Passover. So, this is very apt, isn't it? I don't know how many days we are before the Passover, but this was six days before the Passover. Jesus came and was reclining at the table. Cheryl knows I was going to preach this, so <laughs> they left it for me to preach the other week. Mary took a pound of expensive ointment. I think in the olden translations, they call it spikenard, doesn't it? In the King, King James, spikenard. So nard. Ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. That ointment cost a year's wages. I mean, work that out. I don't know what the average wage is now. 30 grand? 26 grand? I don't know what it is. That's a lot of money to spend on perfume, isn't it? You know, if my wife did that, there'd be words had when she got home. <laughs> but in fact, I don't think the bar like would stretch to 20, whatever it is, 26 grand or 30 grand. But anyway, it was really costly. It was probably her most treasured, expensive possession. Um, we just read a book recently by a guy I know slightly um, called The Alabaster Jar. And it, he kind of, it's, the whole story is based around Mary. He fills in the backstory. It's really interesting. But I, when, when I came to the passage there, in this passage, it doesn't have an alabaster jar. So I was thinking, how do you break an alabaster jar on someone's feet? It doesn't sound kind of, you know, or even on the head. But anyway, putting that aside... It was probably, and, th and this is what the point that's made in the book, that it was a very uh, expensive treasure, and he kind of surmises how she came by it, and it's quite an interesting story. 
but it was her most expensive uh, treasure. And we all know that, and I've known that. But what really struck me recently is a, is a few things, actually. Is that she, she, so she, she washed his feet with the ointment, then she wiped them with her hair. You know, in Corinthians, it tells us that the hair is given to the lady as her glory. And I know a lot of you ladies are very, um, you know, you like your hair and you get potions and stuff to put on it. And if the kids... <laughs> I pour you do it as well, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, you, you look after it. It's not, you know, and, and touch your hair, touch, you know, the, you kind of see another side of, you know, people, don't you? You know, if I tangle with your hair, Cheryl, you're going to kind of give me a bit of a... <laughs> In the nicest possible way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She might say, stop it, Roger. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, she used what was her glory to wipe the feet of Jesus. How do, what do we do when we find Jesus? We pour out our most expensive treasures on his feet, at his feet. And we humble ourselves. And we use what can we consider to be our glory. To just, I mean, it doesn't work for a guy, does it? I can't really imagine me <laughs> kind of, you'd have to have long hair to do it. But you know what I'm saying? Whatever that is, the hair was in the story, but it's a picture. It won't always be. But what is your treasure? What is your glory that you can pour out on the feet of Jesus? It talks about the casting our crowns at his feet. Those things that are our treasures, our crowns, whatever, casting them at his feet. And the thing that struck me again was that uh, you made a mistake. <laughs> it's okay, Bob. You said you're going to be nice to me today, and you've just interrupted me. <laughs> what what struck me as well about these three people who were all, um, well, particularly the first two, because obviously Mary wasn't necessarily full of the spirit at that point. I'm sure she did become so later. But they were devoted and they worshipped. They came into the presence of God. They were, they were seeking Jesus. They came to worship. But they all understood. Simeon understood that this baby was the Messiah. Anna, too, understood this baby is the Messiah. Mary understood more about Jesus because she'd been listening. She was anointing him for burial. That's what Jesus said, leave her alone. She's, you know, when Jesus went to the cross, his feet smelled beautiful because they'd been anointed with the, uh, with the perfume. So it's a no-brainer, really, isn't it, that if we come into the presence of God and we worship, pour out our lives, we will understand the times, we'll understand what to do, what's my part, because that's what I need to know. I don't need to know all this up there bit, do I? I need to know, okay, there's that up there bit, but Lord, what do you want me to do? How should I live my life? What do I need to do today? How should I be different? What should I, what should I do? Um, and we find that by coming into his presence and worshipping. Psalm 95 um, says this. 
Psalm 95, verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. And the interesting thing is, when you look those words up in the Hebrew, they're all kind of bowing down words. So it's almost saying, come, let us bow down and bow down and bow down before the Lord our Maker. There's a sense of bowing before him, honoring him, worshiping. So I come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, Mother's Day, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As at Meribah, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it goes into the history. But let's come and worship and bow down, not just on a Sunday morning. And let's, let's in our times with him, let's worship and bow down. Let's pour out our best before him. Let's dedicate ourselves to be uh, in his presence, seeking Jesus, but to be about his business, that my life is about your business. Um, yeah. Have I, have I got the worship team still in the house? I wanted to sing that song, i come let us worship and bow down. But I don't know the words, and Paul didn't know the song. So between us, we were struggling. Sarah, do you know that song? Phil, do you know that song, Phil? Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. There's nobody in that. Okay, Sarah, have you got a worship and bow down song? <laughs> that you could do for me. Here I am to worship. Sorry? No, don't play off the phone. Yeah, let's do Here I Am to Worship. Sorry, can we do that one? Yeah, okay. Here I am to bow down. No prayer. They can do it. They, these are talented musicians. I have no, no qualm about putting them on the spot. Oh, dear. So let's stand. Let's, let's stand. And let's worship. I want you to come and bow down. And I want you to let the word just adjust you where you need adjusting. But let's kind of make some declarations. I know we've been talking about this for a Mark's been talking about this for a while. So we, you know, some of us have, have maybe feel that we've there, but let's come again. There's no harm in coming again saying, Lord, Lord, I'm gonna bow down at your feet. I've got to live my life for your glory. Be about your business. Perhaps close your eyes. It might help me. Thank you. But you, you do what business you like with God. I know things will move on after the preach, but there's a, a prayer ministry thing that people want to be prayed for. Or if you want me to pray for you, come to the front. But let's let's... Let's change. Let's be prepared to allow the word to change us. It's very simple. And you've heard it before. But when you hear a word a lot of times, you have to ask yourself, am I doing it? Am I hearing it because I really need to make a change? I need to actually put it in print. I would put my hand up for that and say, yes, I hear these things a lot. Lord, forgive me for being so slow to hear and to obey. 
But let's change that now. Let's change that now. 